Let me begin this morning by sharing a few words from Psalm 147, which say, Praise the Lord. How good to sing praises to our God. How delightful and how fitting. The Lord is rebuilding Jerusalem and bringing the exiles back to Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. He counts the stars and calls them all by name. How great is our Lord. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. Friends, welcome to worship this morning on this Memorial Day weekend. And as we gather to give our praises and our worship to the Lord our God, we also take time today to remember what this weekend is and what Memorial Day means to us as we remember our past, as we remember our present, and as we dream for our future and trust in God for all that the future may have in store for us here in St. John's. And so some of us come today into worship with heavy hearts as we, as we know where we have been, the things that we have lost, um, the things that we have found. Um, some of us come into this place with, with hearts filled with joy and happiness, and some come with anticipation and expectation of all that may, we may have and may become. But we all come from different places this morning, but one thing that centralizes us all, one thing that we all set our hopes upon is, is the reality that God is good through it all, and that Jesus Christ came to save and sacrificed for us all. Well, this week we are in week three of our teaching series, Acts to the Ends of the Earth, and today we're going to be talking about the heart of the matter, and the heart of the matter is a squirrel. Have you heard that story? You ever heard that? No, you never heard the story? Oh, okay. So this little kid is up at the children's message in the church, and the children's message is going on, and, and the pastor's talking to the kids, and he, he asks the kids, okay, so what's the answer? And the little kid goes, well, I think it's a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus. Right? And of course, because the answer is always Jesus, right? When, whenever the pastor asks what's the answer to the question, the answer is always Jesus. The heart of the matter is it's always Jesus. So you know the answer before the message begins this morning. The heart of the matter, it always rests upon Christ. It's why we're here. It's why we exist. We exist to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. Um, but we're exploring our missional call to reach out into the world over these eight week, this eight-week series, exploring the book of Acts and basing it on this one verse, this one foundational verse, Acts 1.8, that says, And you will be my witnesses, and starting in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And what does that mean for us as the St. John's campus of Redeemer Church? And we started by exploring what does it mean to be missional, and then what does it verse mean? And we explored that Jerusalem actually means St. John's campus. And then Judea means St. John's public school system. And then Samaria means the marginalized and the outcasts in our society. And then the world is Greek and Hebrew for the world. We're going to continue today by looking at the heart of the matter, because Stephen Covey often says, or was, is known to have said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Have you ever heard that before? Um, and so we have to keep the main thing ever before us. And so today we're going to look at that, and we're going to pick up our text um, right after the Pentecost story, which is where we left off last week, and we're going to go right in to a sermon that Peter gives right after the Holy Spirit descends at Pentecost. 
Before we do that, we're going to take a moment to pray together. Will you join me in prayer? Holy God, we thank you for this day where we can gather together in your name for the freedom that we have to worship here in this space, to honor you, to, to sing praises to you, to openly pray to you as a community of faith. We thank you for all who have given the ultimate sacrifice for that freedom, Lord. We lift the families and the friends and everyone who is connected to those who have sacrificed. God, we lift this time to you. Lord, we ask that you would let us set aside our baggage that we walked in with so that we could devote this sacred time to your sacred word. It's in your son Jesus' holy name that we pray. And everyone said, amen. In the Disney movie Moana, uh, Moana leaves her native island on a quest to return the heart of Tafiki, Tafiti, excuse me. And to do so, she must convince the uh, demigod Maui to return the heart of Tafiti that he stole. But in his first attempt to get past Kata, the, how do I say, the lava demon trapped on the outer rim of the island, Maui's magical fish hook takes a catastrophic blow and cracks. Maui is consumed by fear and gives up, and, a, and he abandons Moana on, on her boat in the middle of the ocean. And Moana is now faced with what seems like an unachievable task, and, and she is ready to give up. She takes the heart of Tafiti and she, she throws it into the ocean. She's reached the end of her, of her will to press on. She's done. She's, she's giving up. And with all hope lost, she gets ready to set sail for home, to go home. And as she does, her grandmother's spirit comes to visit her. Let's take a look and see how that goes. Have you ever forgotten who you are? Sometimes it takes hitting rock bottom to recognize and realize and reclaim your identity. And I, I remember listening to a clergy colleague of mine, Dr. Anthony Hood, speak about this a couple of years ago. Um, he was serving at Scott Memorial United Methodist Church at the time. And the church had had a fire in the building. Um, and it was unusable. The historic landmark church building was gone. And over the next five years, the people of Scott United Methodist Church, Scott Memorial Church, had to come to terms with some significant barriers that were hidden by this beautiful historic church building. They had to rediscover who they were as the people of God. And some couldn't be the church without that building. As Dr. Hood led the church back to its roots of community and ministry outreach, a new spirit, though, led connection took place. And as I said, Stephen Covey once said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And this is never truer than when it comes to the bride of Christ, the church, the gathering of God's people. And that is why this 
That's why what's behind this place is simple. And I hope you know it and I hope you understand it because I say it every time I stand up here in front of anybody. We're one church meeting in two locations whose mission and ministry is to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. When a church loses sight of its missional calling and when the when the heart of why a church exists is missing, it's incapable of completing God's work in the world. And now that we've begun to build the foundation of our outward missional structure using the book of Acts, now that we've started to do that, we have to take a moment to, to understand and consider how the book of Acts relates to our current culture and how it relates to us today in St. John's. So, Let's take a few moments to talk about just the book of Acts in general. Um, Acts is the second part of the gospel account of Luke, um, as we talked about, and scholarship agrees that it was written to insiders in the church. Now, just you can just shake your head at this. Do you understand what I mean when I say insiders in the church? Church people, not new people that aren't church people, not people outside of the church, the churchgoers of the day people who called themselves church people. It means that similar to the letters that Peter and Paul wrote, which redirected church behavior, Luke and Acts were written to people in the quasi-church of Theophilus, because it was written to this guy called Theophilus, who were struggling to retain this, this boldness or this confidence in Christ. And it's, it's essential to recognize that the readers of Acts were Messianic Jews, meaning Jews that followed Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the Savior. And so the intended audience of the book of Acts was church people who were struggling to remain missionally focused. And so last week, as I said, we we're talking about how the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in Jerusalem, and the disciples had to wait for the Holy Spirit before they went out into the world to do ministry. Um, but once the Holy Spirit came, once the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, it was time for them to get to work. They, they didn't get to sit for very long. And so we're going to pick up right where we left, left off last week in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. And ultimately, we're going to see what the heart of the matter is. And it's not a squirrel. Then Peter stepped forward. So right after right after the Holy Spirit descended. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. You remember that the response of the crowd was that um, the, when Pentecost happened, that people, there were the skeptics and there were the people like, wow, what's going on? And then there were the people that were like, well, there were the skeptics that said, well, they're just drunk. So Peter is immediately responding to the skeptics. That's what he's saying. And I may joke about that, but that was a really serious thing to consider, that, that Peter is responding directly to the criticism that people are giving about God. No, you see, this is what predict, was predicted a long time ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Holy Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men 
will dream dreams. So empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up and he gives a sermon. This is, this is like preacher heaven right here. This is preacher heaven. Because it's really fascinating if you think about it. Because in the Bible, over and over again, we see stories and teachings and sayings and parables and those types of things. But sermons are, are uncommon. Sermons and speeches are a completely different kind of literature. And they're pretty much held exclusively in the book of Acts. You don't find sermons in the Bible very often. And Peter quotes Joel for a few key reasons. First, Joel, he says that Joel says in the last day, God is going to pour out his Holy Spirit. So we have to remember that the, the hearers of this text were good church people, right? Because this was written to church people. So this, the hearers of this were people who were reading their Bibles, which in the time was the Hebrew Bible. And throughout the texts of the Hebrew Bible and throughout the history of God's interaction with humankind so far up to this point, God limited the periods of time that the Holy Spirit interacted with people. There was, there was limited amounts of time. God would send the Spirit, His Spirit, into humanity for a specific amount of time, and then the Spirit would leave. It was just a short amount of time that the Spirit would be present. And so the prospect of God sending the Holy Spirit to remain with us until the end of days, that was a great gift, a huge gift that the people listening to Peter and those who were reading Acts would get really excited about. That would be great anticipation. And the second thing Joel, he, said, he quotes from Joel is that in the last days, God says he's going to pour out his Holy Spirit on all people. And so not only is God going to not limit the amount of time that the Holy Spirit is in our reality, but he also is saying he's not going to limit the number of the people that, has in, in, that he's going to empower with the Holy Spirit. Again, throughout recorded history and throughout the Hebrew Bible, there was only a select few that got to experience the Holy Spirit. It was the privileged few who got to receive the Holy Spirit. But now, Joel is promising that all people, men and women in a patriarchal society, Jews and Gentiles, young and old, where young aren't honored alike, are going to receive the Holy Spirit. This is a countercultural paradigm in a patriarchal society. Now, all of God's people, all of God's people are going to experience Him. And he goes on in verse 18, quoting Joel, In those days I will pour out my Spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Slaves, servants, and they will prophesy. The third thing that he quotes of Joel is that they're going to, the servants, men and women alike, are going to prophesy. Now, he's not saying that they're going to be like fortune tellers or, or um, you know, predicting the future, but prophecy is speaking on God's behalf. Everyone, men and women alike, are going to be empowered with the Holy Spirit and are now going to be able to minister to the world. Which is in stark contrast to the priesthood that was established in Jewish tradition, 
where the only people who were allowed to minister were specific people. But then again, when Jesus comes along, things change. You know, John Maxwell says that if you're not comfortable, you're probably not changing. And you're probably not growing. Peter said in 1 Peter 2.5, And you are living stones that God is building up in his spiritual temple. And what is more, you are his holy priests. Jesus' work in the cross and the Holy Spirit's entrance into our world changes our Role. And so now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the ministry is not the work of the few, but it's the work of the body of Christ. Now, if we could all go upstairs and stand on the balcony, we would do that, but the folks up there might be really uncomfortable. So we're not going to do that. But what I want you to do with me for just a moment is I want you to take a balcony view of what's going on in this text. We have Peter preaching a sermon on the Old Testament book of Joel to a group of Jews in Jerusalem at Pentecost. That's our setting. Jerusalem is the religious center of the faith. And in our ever-widening circle, our Jerusalem is the St. John's campus, our first mission field, right? This, this is where we start. The record of Peter's sermon preached in Jerusalem, was sent to a church leader as requested by someone named Theophilus. That's how the beginning of Luke and Acts starts. And so the, the points of Peter's sermon, how they're, how they're written, what they say, what they mean, what they convey, and what they're intended to, do, to be, how they're intended to be read and understood by the readers at that church that is struggling to be missionally minded those, those points are meant to be read because this was a written account of something that was spoken. It's kind of like reading someone else's mail. I hope you can see the larger picture that's going on. Those who are reading this account are early Christ followers who are trying to glean what has been lost in their faith community. This text wasn't written to us, but it is still written for us. We are a church founded in Christ that has served this community for decades upon decades upon decades. And somewhere along the way, we too lost our way and have lost sight of where we're called to be. And it's not that we need something new and different, some new and different future because the past was wrong. No, the past, understand the past is where salvation is found in this story. We cannot forget that the past is where salvation is found. Our present and recent history may have somewhat become cloudy. But what Peter soon explains in his sermon is that it is not what will happen that saves us. It is not some future action that saves and restores the church. Instead, it is what has already happened that saves us. Salvation for the church and for the soul, for the person, comes from the work, from a work that has already been accomplished. 
Peter goes on to explain this in his sermon as he talks about Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. And then he finishes his message with these words, starting in verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you've crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. So Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, and I'll add, and sisters, because to the context he was speaking to, there were just men there, but we have men and women here. So um, I'll add that. What should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners to save yourself from this crooked generation. So here's the first point from this text. What Peter's sermon all boils down to is that Jesus saves. And that Jesus is not only Messiah, but he is Lord. The thing that saves us, the thing that saves us, salvation for humankind is not something that we achieve. It's not something that we do now or in the future. It is something that has already happened. It happened in the person of Christ. In the person of Jesus, that is, and that is the saving grace of Christ. And it's a power that's already loose in our world. It's already loose and it's already available for the listener of Peter's sermon and for the reader of the, of the readers of the book of Acts and for us too who are reading it as well if we choose to receive it. And here's the interesting thing. The people who were listening to Peter's message in Jerusalem, get this, they weren't looking for Jesus in the first place, were they? Do you, do you remember why they were there? Passover. They weren't there looking for Jesus. They came for another reason altogether, and yet Jesus had called them. He called to them just as he calls to us and just as he's calling to the people in our community and to our world. You see, it's easy for us to simplify church and worship for the sake of comfort and to turn Jesus just into a moral teacher to make it more palatable. It feels good, you know, it feels, it feels really good to just, you know, limit ourselves to morals and ethics, to sing a few songs and go home or maybe go out to eat and call it a good Sunday. But to make Jesus out to be nothing more than a man or a good teacher is to violate everything that the Bible teaches. See, God sent his son into the world to save all all of creation, all of creation, including you, including me, including everyone in this community and everyone in this world. And Paul says it this way in Philippians 2, 10 and 11, at the very name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus is the mission. Jesus is our mission. And if we're going to call ourselves Christians, 
then Christ must be the center of our faith. Peter didn't preach about doing good things so we could be good people. We confuse that sometimes. Well, isn't it good enough just to be a good person? He didn't talk about serving for moral and ethical reasons. Everything he taught, everything he preached about, everything he told people to do, instructed upon, was based on Christ's calling. Christ was the center of everything. We often get tempted. I'm to blame for this too. It's not just other people, it's me too. We often get tempted to remove Jesus from the conversation for the sake of political correctness. But when we do that, we remove the point of why we do anything in the first place. See, if Christ is not at the heart of it, then it's no different than any other social organization. It's no different than anything else. And, and you might say, and, and I've had this conversation before, that's why I say you might say, but why not take Jesus out at least at the first part of the conversation? Kind of the good old bait and switch. And I'll tell you, because the bait and switch routine is disingenuine and it discredits the work of Christ and it discredits the work of the Holy Spirit in ministry. And if we remove Jesus from the conversation, then there's really no conversation worth having as a church. God calls and we respond. God calls and we respond. Peter's sermon struck the hearts of those who were listening because the Holy Spirit was working in them. I imagine that the people of the church of Theophilus were also found themselves struck by Peter's words, and I pray that you feel yourself struck by Peter's words as well. We all individually respond to Christ's call in our own lives, in our own way. And when we are faced with the reality of that power in our lives, and that power that's already been set loose in the world around us, we also have to ask ourselves, what must we do? Brothers and sisters, what must we do? And Peter's response was straightforward, and I love that about Peter. He was straight shooter. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. You see, and Peter, Peter's not trying to create some sort of system of conversion in this process because it's not repeated anywhere else in Acts or elsewhere in the Bible, but he is pointing out a critical relationship that we can't overlook. And that is, we must first turn to God and commit to Christ. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ is at the core of who we are as people of faith. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ is at the core of who we are as people of faith. It is our mission as a church to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. It's who we are. It's why we exist. And when we have turned to God and committed our lives to Christ, people, Peter says that we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit Jesus is the heart of it all. I told you, you knew the answer already. And he leads us to the sustaining presence of the Holy Spirit. If we are, as a body of believers, if we become anything less 
than our calling to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. We not only fail out fail at living out our missional calling, but we also fail to share with others the experience of the Holy Spirit with other people. Because it's not just about us. As Muana stood on her boat, alone in the middle of the ocean, she had to rediscover who she was at her core. I want you to listen again to the lyrics of the song, the song of the ancients. Because the words, the tune is great, but the words, I think, are very good as well. She says, and the call isn't out there at all, it's inside me. And it's like the tide, always falling and rising. I will carry you here in my heart, you'll remind me that come what may, I know the way. The call isn't out there at all, it's inside me. Our mission and vision is to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. And that call needs to be inside of us as well. It's not something that's on the wall or out there. It's something that we take with us and we carry it in our hearts and it reminds us of why we do what we do. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Everything we do rests upon that missional call. The story of Acts depicts the nature of God, but it also gives us a promise of God's new thing in our world through the work of the Holy Spirit and through the salvation of Jesus Christ. The the story tells us that something happens to us through the power of God. And that we as the reader of this text become the recipients of God's promise. It's not just a picture of what is right now, but it's what but it's a picture also of what by God's power and by God's work shall be. And and this church has done it before. This church has done it before. The DeWitt campus is doing it now. Many of you have told me stories, memories of the Sunday school classes filled in this building with kids, children, youth, and adults being baptized in this worship center, in this very room. Almost two centuries of doing it right here in St. John's. A legacy of faith right here. Followed by a few decades of clouded vision. It's not too late. To reclaim that. If we keep Christ as our center and live out our mission to, to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ and receive the power of the Holy Spirit, God will use this place to build his kingdom here. Just like in the early church, though, it will mean doing things differently than we have in the last few decades. But I ask you, 
What would you endure to see this place filled with children coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? What would you give to see this place open every day of the week to community events, to be a central hub again in the community? What would you let go of to see the next generation of children sharing the good news of Jesus Christ because of your vision and that your vision is a God-sized vision? And here is where it all begins, in this place. And here's the next step of the vision. It starts on the second floor. And the second floor needs to be renovated to meet the needs of the young families in our community. It will require not only paint and carpet, but it will require a sacrifice as well. It'll require the sacrifice of Classroom 6 and the library. Classroom 6 will need to be converted into a preschool classroom. And all the books from the library will need to be moved out. And that's a history and a legacy. And that'll be hard. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to move the library into the, into the lobby. And we're going to give the books away to anyone in the congregation who wants them through the entire month of June. And then any of the books that remain by July will be donated to a missional organization called Mission Cry that sends Christian resources out to missionaries, international missionaries around the world. And so all of the resources that remain will go to missionaries across the globe to be used to continue the witness of this church and this congregation. And adult gathering spaces will be set up in the multi-purpose room downstairs. The two central rooms upstairs will be set up for first through fifth grade Christian education classrooms that run on a rotation model because we found that rotation model ministries, instead of single classroom ministries, kids have a, an increased retention rate of up to 80%. 80%. Ask a child what they learned in Sunday school and they can tell you. I test my kids when they come home from Christian ed and I'm blown away that they remember the stories and they can tell them to me. They can tell me what they learned. Students will rotate through Activities like story time, music, art, kitchen, drama, games. And the nursery will undergo some minor improvements as well. Our mission is the same as it's always been, connecting people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. I ask you, are you willing to take a hold of it again? To hold on to Christ as our center, to receive the Holy Spirit, and to, and to get to work with God and remember, that our, and remember our anchor text but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, in St. John's campus, throughout Judea, in the St. John's public school system, in Samaria, in the marginalized in our community, and to the ends of the world, to the ends of our world. 
And what are you willing to do to see future generations experience Jesus Christ in this place? Because it's going to take changes. And no one likes change. But it's not too late. This place can be filled again through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I'm praying for. And I hope that you are too. Let's pray together. Holy God, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit on this place and into our hearts. Let us always remember to keep your Son, Jesus Christ, at the center of all that we do. Lord, this church building has stood in this place for so many years. As we move forward with renewed vigor vigor toward reaching people in your name, let this place be filled once more with those who earnestly seek you. We lift your church, Lord, and its leaders and its people. We lift to you this community and all who feel hurt by the church. Let your peace fall upon all of us as we seek to do your will. It is in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior, that we pray. And everyone said, Amen.